you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Well, hey, it's a little weird using the microphone, but it's being recorded again. No, it's the first time. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, Brad. Brad, Brad, as usual, very helpful. Uh, it's good to be together. Good to share the space um, always. Uh, this passage this evening is actually a pretty thought-provoking passage. And as I've kind of like let it simmer this week, I've, I've found my provoked thoughts, so to speak, to be pretty incomplete about it. So it's kind of a sermon of like dot, dot, dot. Okay. So I'm not, I don't have a whole lot of definitive things that I think uh, are stirring from this, but, but I do mean this, like, I think something in me as I've sat with this passage is being provoked and I'm not quite sure what it is. The interpretation that, that stirring, I suppose is like maybe leading me and perhaps us somewhere, but I'm not sure what the sense of that might be. So it's kind of like a fun thing to just let sit and stir inside of all of you as well. Honestly, it's probably pretty true of a lot of Kaleo sermons is that it's like incomplete thought in terms of like, go and be, go and do, go and see how this fits into the world you live in. But before I read the passage, if you don't know what the passage is yet, uh, I just, I want to issue an invitation, I suppose. And it's not different than invitations that I issue uh, other times. But uh, before I read the passage, just like, would you, would you be willing to let your imagination stir a little bit? Try not to dissect the, the passage as it's read as much as like, just like let it linger. And then would, would you continue to chew on this passage after this moment in time as you practice the ways of Jesus? And then would you even just maybe be willing to awaken to this like awe and wonder and amazement of Jesus doing something new as well? So that that's the invitation. You can say yes or no to all of those things. But regardless, I'm going to keep going. So I'm going to read Mark 1, 21 through 28. Then I'm going to pray and then we'll see what transpires after that. All right, the passage in Mark 1, 21 through 28 reads like this. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed threw the man into a convulsion and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus 
spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what a passage you've presented us with this evening. I pray that you would, in fact, grant us imagination, that you would help us to, to chew on what you might want to speak in and through us and out of us as a result of encountering this passage. I pray that most of all, we would meet you in the midst of it, and that we would continue to learn what it looks like to live out and practice the ways of Jesus in our lives. I pray that we would align ourselves with your liberating love. Above all else, Jesus, I pray that you'd give me your words to speak, words that are for you and from you and that make much of you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, little little demon demon passage for us today. Uh, it's, it's just important to know we're at the beginning of Mark's gospel. Uh, we're in the season of epiphany, so it's the season that kind of emphasizes this like paying attention to new realities uh, being exposed to us. So that's why we encounter the beginning of Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel typically has a little less detail. It's a pretty quick moving gospel. So if you're like just trying to to see what all Jesus was up to, read Mark and you're like, zoom, you you went through that. But even as we read these first couple of verses from our passage today, which I'll read again so you can kind of notice them, you'll see there's a lot of similarities to the other gospel accounts that you might be thinking of and even just the way that people respond to the very early preaching ministry, if you will, of Jesus. So again, it, it started like this. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The synagogue then at this point in time was kind of becoming a little bit more of a location that was this blend of the the secular and the sacred. Both were transpiring there. It wasn't a place you just went to to like separate yourself from what was happening in the world which obviously you kind of see Jesus engaging that as it happens. And so they go into the synagogue and this particular time Jesus teaches. And as he begins to teach, verse 22 says, the people were amazed at his teaching. They said he taught with a real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. But I want to focus a little bit just initially on amazement. Be amazed by Jesus. I'm going to let the poetry of Maya Angelou bring this amazement to bear. This is from her poem, Amazement Awaits. We are here at the portal of the world we had wished for, at the lintel of the world we most need. We are here roaring and singing. We prove that we can not only make peace, we can bring it with us. With respect for the world and its people, we can compete passionately without hatred. With respect for the world and its people, we can take pride in the achievement of strangers. With respect for the world and its people, we can share openly in the success of friends. Here, then, is the amazement. Against the odds of impending war, In the mouth of bloody greed, human grace and human spirit can still conquer. Ah, we discover 
We ourselves are the amazement which awaits. We ourselves, amazement. Passage continues like this now that we're amazed. Verse 23, suddenly, which I think is always how evil spirits cry out, by the way. A man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. To help us imagine what this passage might mean for us, as an evil spirit starts calling out to Jesus upon one of his first teaching moments in Mark, I've leaned on the wisdom and voices of theologians, pastors, and practitioners from the first through the fourth centuries. They're often referred to as the church fathers, but they have this unique perspective of how they're thinking about the things that are happening in Jesus's time because they're closer to the moments of Jesus's time. I'll tell you who they all are as we go, but it's a wild collection of long dead men. One of them, Ambrose, is his name. He reflected like this on this passage. He says, so we are not to believe the demonic powers even when they tell the truth. Another named Athanasius reflected like this. Jesus silenced the demons because he did not wish that the truth should proceed from an unclean mouth. Interesting. So I think then the question I ask as I got to this point is like, what are the powers, evil spirits, unclean spirits? What are they? Walter Wink, theologian and practitioner who is not as old as a church father, he argues in a book called Naming the Powers that the language of principality and powers in the New Testament refers to human social dynamics, institutions or belief systems or traditions, etc. These dynamics are what he then calls manifestations of power, always have what he says is like an inner and an outer aspect. So there's something within the institution, the belief system, the tradition that is inside it, but that also you encounter outside of it, if you will. So here's what he says. Every power, capital P power, right? So he's naming the powers, the, the evil powers, if you will, tends to have a visible pole, an outer form, be it a church, a nation, an economy, and an invisible pole, like an inner spirit of driving force that animates and legitimates and regulates its physical manifestation in the world. Like this is how the power comes to bear. Neither one is the cause of the other, he says, but both come into existence together and cease to exist together. Stay with me. I wrote that in my notes because I read it back to myself. And I'm like, okay, we're going to have to process this because it's going to turn a corner here. I told you it's an incomplete sermon. He then breaks it down like this. And I think this makes it a little bit more accessible. He says the principalities and powers, which is language we hear throughout the scripture, right? Throughout the New Testament, the principalities and powers are the inner or spiritual essence of an institution or system. 
Then he says the demons, or the evil spirit or unclean spirit, they're the spiritual power emanated by organizations or individuals or aspects of individuals whose energy are bent on overpowering others. So the demons want to overpower others. That's what's inside the system, if you will. Gods, then he says, lowercase g, are like the ideological structures that determine or govern reality and its mirror, which is how we like take it in. And then he says, Satan, capital S, Satan, the Satan, the like deceiver, he says, is the actual power that congeals around this collective idolatry, injustice, or humanity. And it's a power that increases or decreases according to the degree of the collective refusal to choose higher values. What he's naming on a lot of levels here is that the powers are at play in the way we might talk about it is like systematic oppression. Overall injustice in the world is not just done by one thing. He's saying there's something inside of the system that's the power, if you will. So if we try to summarize what, what Wink is saying here, in his understanding, this worldview that these gospel and New Testament writers were writing from, it allowed them to comprehend the spiritual nature of human-made structures. The language of demons or spirits or powers or principalities, they helped them recognize that social life has both seen and unseen elements to it, and that both need to be taken into account to understand the dynamics that shape our lives. Now, if I was just spinning that back to the few verses we've already looked at, you can see that playing out in the way in which Jesus encounters this quote-unquote unclean or evil spirit, right? It is not seen to anybody in the room, even Jesus, apparently. It speaks out, And so there's this outer representation of it. And in this moment of casting out this demon, Jesus is saying, you do not belong in this structure or system. You must leave it. In this particular moment, it's a person who's there in that synagogue. So all of this then, you can see why this is going to be an incomplete sermon, right? All of this is leading me in this direction of discerning who is speaking anytime somebody speaks. Who, like in italics for me, who is speaking so that then I might discern what they are speaking. If I know who is speaking, then I will be able to go like, well, then what is it that they're saying? Because it essentially seems to me, Jesus, at the outset of Mark's gospel here, is reminding us, his way is always and forever associated with liberating love. He has set someone free in the context of their community, right? So that's, that's what he came to do. You know, verses before, he's telling everybody that the kingdom of God is at hand, right? So turn around and change the way you live. In some cases, he's making sure everybody sees it play out firsthand. So it's the who and the what that align most fully in Jesus. Who is Jesus and what is Jesus saying? And we go, okay, that's, that's the truth we need to hear, so to speak. And all the powers, capital P powers, that don't initiate this liberating love must be, so to speak, cast out. 
So the incompleteness of what I think I'm wrestling out here is there's a lot of powers that we can name present in our world right now. We encounter, we talk about them all the time in the life of Kaleo. And if those powers might speak something that's true, but their actual action doesn't lead to the liberating love of Jesus, cast it out is what I think this might be saying. So we're going to circle back to verse 23. Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil or unclean spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's a really interesting encounter now that you hear it play out. Because what is this evil spirit saying through this person? The truth. This is, in fact, what Jesus has come to do to destroy the power of evil in the world. Beta, another church father, but now from the 7th century, reflects like this. The presence of the Savior is the torment of the devils. Irenaeus, one of the earliest church fathers, who was born in 130 A.D., So, you know, like just after all this is going down, reflects this way. Even the demons cried out on beholding the sun, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Later, the devil looking at him and tempting him, him being Jesus, would say, if you are the Son of God. He's talking about the temptation that Jesus faces in the wilderness where also the enemy speaks truth. No scripture declares who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do, but there's always a distortion to it. So on some level, the powers, evil, unclean spirits, however you want to talk about that, might speak the truth, but its ways are still deceptive. And that's what we're tasked with trying to discern. Okay, let's close this out then with some more incomplete thoughts, because the rest of the passage reads like this then. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. And at that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Which I know. Like, maybe some of us have experiences that are closer to this than others, but many of us don't. And we're like, okay. I think verse 27 is just telling of the times that this was occurring in because it says amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. So they knew there was something other than what the status quo was unfolding in their midst. When they were amazed at Jesus' teaching before he had cast out a spirit, They said he taught with real authority, unlike the others who spoke, right? Like real authority. What does that mean? Doesn't mean he yelled more, right? It doesn't mean he stomped his foot more. It doesn't mean he did like the Driscoll or anything like that, right? It it was the authority that is rooted in the liberating love of God that has always been God's goal from the very beginning of creation through all time. He spoke with that authority that sets people free. 
So as this happens, and they're amazed by it, they're like, what sort of new teaching is this? This has captured them. They're excited about it. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders, which so they're like, there were evil spirits. They knew that. And then news about Jesus spread throughout the entire region of Galilee quickly. Augustine, a church father you maybe are more familiar with or have heard of, from North Africa, offers this robust reflection. Call to mind with me, he says, the time when Peter was praised and called blessed. Was it because he merely said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God? That's what this spirit said, right? Augustine says, no. He who pronounced him blessed regarded not merely the sound of his words, but the affections of his heart. Compare that with the words of the demons who said almost the same thing. We know who you are, the Son of God, just as Peter had confessed him as Son of God. So what's the difference? Peter spoke in love, but the demons in fear. This is from like 350 AD. So tell us how faith is to be defined. If even the devils can believe and tremble, only the faith that works by love is faith. This is how we seek to discern the words of truth. Where do they come from? And then he reflects succinctly. He says, those words show clearly that the demons had much knowledge, but entirely lacked love. He goes on, though. He says, faith is mighty, but without love, it profits nothing. The devils confessed Christ, but lacking charity, it availed nothing. They said, what have we to do with you? They confessed a sort of faith, he says, but without love. Hence, they were devils. Do not boast of faith that puts you on the same level with the devils. It's like, it's a, these are just harsh sayings. And this is why I think it's incomplete, because I don't know. It seems to me the world I traffic in right now, the, the country we live in, is like currently amuck with those who are only God talkers. And this has me thinking about a lot of things that we spend a lot of time engaging in the life of Kaleo. And namely on this day or in this sermon, it has me considering the way in which people are speaking on the conflict in Gaza and beyond and the ongoing oppression and suffering of the Palestinian people. It has me considering the rise of so-called quote-unquote Christian nationalism. It has me considering the dominant narratives being spewed from the mouths of our political leaders, no matter what party they're from, and then the violent action that seems to keep following every time they speak. It has me considering the way one particular state is continually demonizing any and every person at the southern border. James Cone says... And God of the oppressed, on the work of Jesus in this passage, he says, it disclosed that God in Jesus has brought liberation to the poor and the wretched of the land. 
and that liberation is none other than the overthrow of everything that is against the fulfillment of their humanity. It is the overthrow of everything that is against the fulfillment of their humanity. Is that not what we saw Jesus do in this one little moment in time in which he cast out a spirit? Is he allowed this one person in this one particular instance to fulfill their humanity as he overthrew anything that was not for their flourishing? So what Jesus has done in this passage, this is what Jesus came to do and continues to do. And this is the Jesus that I follow. And that's probably the only complete thought of this sermon. So how do we respond to such a Jesus as this? The final two verses from our passage, they read like this. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. The incompleteness is, again, is where do we go from here? And so my hope is that we embody this new teaching of Jesus. And I hope that our response is the same as these people, at least in its initial phase of just being amazed that this is what Jesus has actually come to do. And so to stir our hearts towards practicing the ways of Jesus as the multi-ethnic family of God, I'm going to revisit those words from Maya Angelou again. And I'll let this be the final word, and then we'll just be still in the presence of Jesus. We are here at the portal of the world we had wished for, at the lintel of the world we most need. And here we are, roaring and singing. We prove that we can not only make peace, we can bring it with us. With respect for the world and its people, we can compete passionately without hatred. With respect for the world and its people, we can take pride in the achievement of strangers. With respect for the world and its people, we can share openly in the success of friends. Here then is the amazement. Against the odds of impending war in the mouth of bloody greed, human grace and human spirit can still conquer. Ah, we discover we ourselves are the amazement which awaits. We ourselves amazement.
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we just rest in the stillness with you, I pray that even the the first four words of our passage would resonate, Jesus and his companions. To help us companion with you, Jesus. Would you help us bear witness to the amazement that is you even against the odds of quote-unquote impending war in the mouth of bloody greed. Would you grant us the wisdom to discern the voices that speak? Would you help us see who speaks them? so that we might know the truth of what they speak. And then two, would you align our voices and our lives with the liberating love of Jesus? By the authority of your spirit within us, would we too cast out from ourselves, from the communities we care for, anything that is not of you. Set us free as individuals, set us free together as community, set us free as those who love our neighbors and beyond. Set us free as we even learn to love our enemies. So Holy Spirit, would you fill us fresh with the reminder, the knowledge that we are loved by you. And then would you stir our feet to move and follow you as we practice the ways of Jesus as the multi-ethnic family of God. To you be the glory. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.